You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McCuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedians Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and my guest today is Adam Bloom. Uh, many of you, I think, uh, comedians will be familiar with Adam. He's like, for those of you that don't know him, he's like, you know the guy in a heist movie who's the specialist at cracking safes and outwitting security systems? Adam Bloom is like that, but for jokes. Uh, I found this conversation absolutely electrifying, so I hope you enjoy it. Without further ado, please welcome Mr. Adam Bloom. I think the thing we should start with is um, because I, ma- I imagine you've, you've done, you've been going for how long? 18 years. 18 years. You'll have done a lot of interviews and you'll have retread, retrod the same ground over and over about how you started and all okay. the rest of it. So rather than that, I just think from the point of view of the listener, that material is probably available elsewhere. Okay. So shall we start, and we can, we can, you can dip into it briefly if you like, but shall we just start by saying, do, do you have to be a comedian? Me? Yes. Do you have to be, and maybe that might, you might talk about your origins okay. along the way. Okay. But do you think you have to be a comic? Okay. And, it, it, and we're in, we're off, this is it. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the needle hit the record and there was no sound of a needle. And I uh, have to be a comedian because I wanted to be a comedian when I was 10. My life was a mishmash of just chaos until the day I did my first gig and then it all, the white noise stopped. Wow, <laughs> that, that's exactly the answer I wanted. And oh, really? Go on. Um, yeah. yeah, so it was on stage during my first gig. I almost went over my whole life up to that moment. I went, oh, of course, mm. of course. It was a bit like having a friend who'd come out the closet and then you realise why you know, relations didn't work or why they were frustrated. Or you go, okay, now it will make sense and now they can relax and get on with it. And that's how it was. And my whole life prior to my first gig seemed like a kind of desperate need to show the world what was going on in my head that wasn't normal. You know, I'd have conversations with people and my brain would be just working overtime to come up with conceits and just play around with what was going around me. And some people would go, this is great. Who is this bloke? And some people go, oh, you're full of crap because they would hear the nonsense and not decode it because you say something poetic or absurd and it's rubbish if you want the straight answer from someone. I'd go go home very hurt. I'd be down the pub and I'd be just spurting out these thoughts and someone would turn around and go, you're full of crap. And I'd feel really, really hurt because you're not getting paid for this. You're just going, look world, I see it differently to people because I would be on the school bus and see something on a sign 
and I like a no smoking sign and I'd make a comment and everyone would crack up laughing but I honestly thought that that was obvious to everyone okay do, do you know what I mean it's like you yeah. hear about people with, 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 with really big willies who honestly thought they had a small willy until someone pointed out they had a big willy <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah. and it was too, and I, I just didn't realise for years I knew I could make people laugh but I didn't realise how absurd my perspective on everyday life was Okay. Until I was probably about 15, 16, because I'd make a comment, just say what I saw. It's like that catchphrase, say what you see, say what you see. What I saw wasn't what other people saw. And comedians work differently. They'll you know, spend some time with Tim Vine. He'll make puns. Matt Welcome mm. makes wonderful puns. Mm. I remember once he, was, I remember once he, thing, he invited me, his, me to his birthday party during the Edinburgh Festival, and I was up in Edinburgh, and I said, I can't come up here in Edinburgh. Will you come up? And he said, no. Um, uh, and I said, well, your presence will be missed. And he went, no, your presence will be missed. It's <laughs> great, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, um, and as, he, as he said that, I thought, oh my God, how come I didn't spot that? It's such a blatant, obviously, your presence will be missed. Talk about birthday, you know what I mean? Course, but I didn't see the world that way. That's how, that's how he, and I'm talking about Ross Noble um, doing really well in the last couple of years since Matt had been off the circuit. I said, his career is snowboard. And when he's, he's literally Ross Snowboard. Right, and he saw snowboard oh, within you know, noble. Yeah, yeah, okay, he just yeah. saw the word noble within snowboard. Yeah, and I don't. So it's not, I'm not putting myself on a pedestal. I'm just saying I see things differently to some people. Sure, and some comedians see things differently to me, and it's just we're different. And that different thing, that oddness, that quirk, that dysfunctionality, that whatever it is that makes me see it different to people. Uh, was a very frustrating So it was genuinely problematic for you as a kid dealing with other kids in any way other than making them laugh? Yeah, uh, not, not, not dealing with it in any other way, but it was, it was definitely frustrating knowing that I could make people laugh, but some people thought I was a bit mad and people didn't appreciate me. I, I knew that if I could make a comment that made people laugh, saying something that no one else spotted, there must be value in that. There must be financial profit mm-hmm. to be made for being able to see the world differently and but of course I didn't know I could do it until I did it and that's why the first gig was such a profound experience because now it was proof mm. I can do this I've done it I'm doing it now it's happening now they're laughing it's not a delusion I'm not a yeah. deluded person I'm a person who spent years going I know I can see things differently and now because that thing you said I had jokes my first gig that were four years old that had been in my head <laughs> Yeah. That's unique. I don't think I've, oh, I don't really? think I've ever really? heard. Well, I've, I've certainly never spoken to anyone who was. I mean, yeah, the idea of doing a first gig with material that was four years old, things that you. I mean, material, yeah, just jokes, isn't it? Just to have a thing and have never said it, but to know that it would work. But, yeah, but that, and that thing. And did you know it would work? No, did no, you, no, 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 no. I didn't know it would work. I had, so you were I, really putting your balls on the line. Yes, I was going, if, if that had gone, if that one joke, and, and we've all had bad gigs, if your first gig had been a bad one, would that have snuffed you out? I think about that once a month for the last 18 years. It, it's su- such a fragile thing to think that all over the world there are people who had a stab at something and failed, who could have been the next big thing in their field mm. because they failed because of that particular one, it just didn't click with them. And they look, what, what, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? And then they give up. It's tragic to think that, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And I do honestly think that on a regular basis because the, the I remember my having a slightly bad gig soon afterwards and thinking, oh, what was I thinking? And the people doing well on the bill that night, two new acts who did well on the bill, have both given up since then. Mm. And I remember thinking, what was I thinking? I can't compete with these people. 
and you know a couple of years down the line they'd stop doing it so it, it, I, I just hope people listening to this thinking about doing anything with their lives do it and also don't give up on the first one because it, it, it is the persistence that, that prevails isn't it sure over the yeah, talent yeah absolutely yeah absolutely well we can only hope <laughs> but you only hope just by repeatedly bashing one's head against it that in the end the persistence will pay off So a quick break now. I'll just tell you what's going to happen later on in the, the rest of the show. Uh, this, I think this is one of my favourite episodes of The Comedian's Comedian. If you, I was going to say geek out. Is that a thing? Geeking out? Yeah. If you sort of roll over and, and geek out about jokes as much as I do, you're just, I think you're going to love this. We're going to be talking about uh, Adam's very unusual position in the comedy world as a fixer and some of the people, uh, comedians, and also some high-profile non-comedians for whom he's written. Uh, we're going to talk about Adam's disdain for laziness in joke writing. Uh, some really interesting thoughts there and a remarkable analogy about the shape and, and the pattern of jokes. Uh, we're going to talk about Adam's development as a comic and how he wishes maybe he'd done some things differently. Uh, he's got a very fascinating and, and some very encouraging thoughts about what the industry is or isn't looking for. And perhaps a breath of fresh air for, for some newer acts. Uh, Adam is very big on the concept of loving comedy itself more than loving the idea of success. Uh, I just I just think he's uh, it's really positive to hear someone talk about caring about the thing they love more than and I'm not I'm not suggesting that my previous guests haven't but this has just particularly come up uh, in in this particular interview that it's so easy and I, I had an email from from an act as well of a newer act who was talking about how easy it is to to become disillusioned and to feel disenchanted when people that you consider uh, let's not make any bones about it people who you consider to have lazy writing or uninspired writing or or a, a kind of a give me the success kind of attitude. It can be incredibly depressing when you're cranking away trying to do something you care about to feel like you're getting uh, overtaken or leapfrogged by someone who doesn't seem to care about the thing you love as much. So I think if you're someone that's ever thought that, and I think probably we all have, uh, and it's probably important to remember as well, the people you're thinking that about also put themselves somewhere on their spectrum and probably think that about other people. But um, so some really, really exciting stuff from Adam on that. Uh, and finally, very, very excitingly, an, an example of Adam's writing technique in which I've asked him to take a, a recent joke of his to bits and explain how and why it works and how he how he wrote it like that. So that's all coming up. Um, two little quick promotional things. Uh, I, I know you, you know I'm doing the Comedian's Comedian Live at the Edinburgh Festival. Tickets for that are on sale now. It's 12.15 at the Gilded Balloon. That's a lunchtime show at Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays throughout the festival. Um, and we have got Mr Rod Gilbert's date confirmed. Now, there's only 50 tickets. And if I mention it next episode, in which I'm going to be interviewing Sarah Millican, and which I confidently expect my, my ratings, my downloads... To quadruple, um, then all of the Sarah Millican fans are going to get the Rod Gilbert tickets, which is fine. They're lovely people, but I want to make sure that you get them, the hardcore comedy nerds. I'm prepared to tell you now that the wonderful Josh Widdicombe is going to be doing the Comedians Comedian Live at uh, at the Edinburgh Festival on Sunday the 5th of August, and tickets are on sale for that now. This is the first time I've released that. Sunday the 5th It's going to be Josh Widdicombe. That's going to be Absolutely fascinating. I have heard from a housemate of Josh's that he writes for eight hours a day and just regards it as his job and cranks the stuff out. So I can't wait. He's very excited about that as well. So that's the 5th of August. So leap on that and sell that out and let's get it full of comedy nerds. 
And uh, for the the super hardcore people, I'm going to make Rod's date available to my mailing list before anyone else. So if you want to know, then please email info at comedianscomedian.com and just put subscribe in the subject line and uh, or whatever abuse you want. It doesn't matter. It all gets through to me. So that's info at comedianscomedian.com. Send them to me. I'll put you on the mailing list and I will make you uh, make Rod's date available so that we can get it complete so that Rod can turn up to be facing 50 shiny faced comedy nerds with pens in hands um, let's maybe not aim for quite that so that's 12.15 The Gilded Balloon tickets are on sale now there's a link on the comedianscomedian.com homepage uh, and last thing I'm doing a preview at the Pleasance in Islington of my own show Prick on Sunday the 24th of June so to the same address that's info at comedianscomedian.com email me your favourite swear word uh, and I'll pick the most creative one and that person will win two free tickets to that preview so without further ado or not a great deal no oh this is a do now i'm doing a do i'll stop doing a do back to adam hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands and the best part they're all about safe ethical and responsible manufacturing Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. But it's just funny, I know people who are, who are you know, their, their belief in themselves is greater than their ability in my eyes, and they've gone on to do well because they've almost continually said, I will do well, I will do well. Often with successful parents, you know, children with average ability and successful parents do well because they just keep believing they will, I can because my dad yeah. did, I can because my dad did, and then suddenly they do, and the doors start opening, and it's not that kind of Jedi mind trick. That yes. guy's good. Why is he good? Well, he's saying he's good for 10 years every day. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it is so much of the job, I think, is uh, it, the less technical aspects of it, the kind of the, the personality-driven aspects of it. It is, it's a confidence trick, and I, I don't know anything really about neuro-linguistic programming, but what little I do know suggests to me it's about trying to create that situation for yourself. I certainly, I can think of acts as well, I'm sure, who whose confidence seems at an inappropriate level, but yeah, nonetheless, yeah. further down the line, you go, that, well, no, that, that is one way to do it, is just to be so confident that you become good. Yes. 
Yeah. But you weren't you weren't like that. You were you were confident based on something real and the fact that you just crack people up all the time. Yes, I do wonder. Then maybe that was me. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you describe this delusion in people. And you go, oh, I did quite well. Maybe oh my god. Maybe, maybe you just maybe you just can't remember all the times you said something and kids didn't laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I tell them I can remember. I can remember the times when an audience didn't like what I did, and I shrugged it off like water off a duck's back. I remember thinking. Uh, I remember I heard what I wanted to hear and that was a stage uh, that I had as a new comedian. I've never discussed this with anyone before. Um, I had, in my first two years, such, because I discovered this thing that was going to prove that I had uh, purpose in life and my brain was special and it was going to work out, I was unstoppable. I was absolutely unstoppable. And when I think about it, I remember doing a bad gig at a last minute. Sasha Baron Cohen booked me. Mm-hmm. He had a restaurant in Hampstead called The House. He used to book a comedy there. And uh, Bob Mills had cancelled and he booked three new acts, paid to do a short set each to make up for the Bob Mills extended set. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, and I had... <laughs> he, he didn't stay a book along then. <laughs> 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 he even told the audience that. Yeah. What a degrading introduction. This person, the three acts, will make up for Bob Mills. So I'm oh. a third of Bob Mills. Um, <laughs> Uh, physically, I am. <laughs> and, and I went on and had a had a tough gig, and it was a tough gig. It was in a restaurant. It wasn't set up well for comedy, and and he'd come back quite badly as well. And uh, where is he now? And um and uh and uh, I went on had a bad gig, and I remember the audience looking at Sasha when he came back on stage as if to say, "What are you doing? You promised mm. us good comedy." That's another bad, but almost like last week it happened. Almost like oh, he's done it again. Yes, yeah, sure. Some someone. Who can't get it up and his wife's giving a look and said, Not again. And you catch to just walk past the curtain and catch a glimpse that says, It's not just a that didn't work, it's not again, darling. <laughs> and that's the look they gave. I know it's a lot to read in from a look, but yeah. and I saw that and I just remember going, No, it didn't happen. And I rejected it. I just rejected it. My dad once said to me, If your wife catches you in bed with another woman, deny it. You know, they want to believe the good in you, so you tell them the good. So the Shaggy song wasn't me, same thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, yeah. Uh, but so I didn't accept. I, I saw a room of people looking at the compare as if to say, why are you bringing this rubbish to us? And I just thought, I can't be rubbish. I cannot have it, it cannot enter my head that a room of people think I'm rubbish. Mm-hmm. So it didn't happen. Bang. That's incredible. I wiped it out. That's incredible. Mickey Flanagan once said to me, when you're looking at uh, audience members, you, you know you focus on the one person, yes. or one focuses on the one person who, who is, is laughing. Who is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you focus on the one person... It's only me. Who, who, is, <laughs> who isn't laughing. I remember Mickey saying, you've got to Photoshop them out. You've got, oh, to, you've got to make them invisible. Nice. You've got to ignore them that's completely. Nice. Whereas, of course, it's much more in my psyche to look at them and kind of go for it and go, right, I've got to make you laugh, otherwise the gig's been pointless. Do you know what I mean? As, as if. Whereas actually someone might just have a totally different sense of humour yeah, yeah, and yeah. actually it's in the interests of the overwhelming majority if you pretend everyone is having that amazing time sure. and allow yourself then to relax into it. Yes, yes. So, so you're, given that by now anyone that uh, doesn't know you and is listening to this for the first time will probably be regarding you as some kind of idiot savant where you, well, by which I mean you have this incredible ability that then fell into place. Do you know what I mean? Oh, okay, okay. Are, are we imagining that you, you were totally functional as a, as a normal kid anyway, but you had this extra thing? It would make more sense in your superhero origin story if you were lonely and friendless. <laughs> <laughs> the I, was a, I was a popular kid, but what I was was I was extremely academic and messed up at school very badly. 
So I, I couldn't fun- function in a classroom. Okay. My, my, at 11 years old, my desk was facing the teachers mm. where everyone else's were facing each other. There's in groups of four, okay. two by two, mm-hmm. facing each other. So four kids in groups. Sure. I, I sat facing the teacher. So it was the only way you could get me to do my work. Okay. Because otherwise you'd be mucking about yes. or, or because it wouldn't go in? Or? I'd be mucking about. Okay. And, um, and the, the reason I brought a face at the idiot savant thing wasn't because I disagree, it was because I didn't think the people listening who didn't know who I was could come to that conclusion. But, sure. but amongst comics, yeah, I get, I get, uh, it sounds like I'm bragging, I just, we're just discussing. Brag, feel free, me. this is the whole point of this, say the things that you honestly mean, don't worry about coming across like you're awful. Well, I, I just get endless phone calls from comedians who've got jokes they can't get to work, ringing me up and saying, can you help me with this joke? And it's almost like, it's almost not a given, but a lot of people have come to a conclusion if, they, if a joke doesn't work, ask Adam, because mm. I've got this autistic kind of way of looking at the... This, you've the mentioned the word autistic first there. I haven't mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> You're the 423rd person to not mention it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's that, there's that and I, I can stare at a joke. And I used to get stoned when I was... Uh, in my early days as a comedian, it doesn't happen ever now, ever, ever, ever. But I would actually see jokes I was thinking of as scale electric tracks. You know when you buy a scale electric set, they have a choice of different ways to set there. I'd see the pattern of the joke in a shape. Mm-hmm. So it would go that way, that way, and bend there, and go that way, there. And Milton Jones always used to impress me, because even back then, because his jokes twisted in unusual places. Yes. And I'd see the, the scale electric track of his joke. Yes. But, but, uh, yes, even that. I mean, I, I try and think of if I'm trying to write a, a short joke or even a longer thing, I'm trying to see in terms of a, a paradigm shifting of like a set of events that we're then seeing from a different angle or a different perspective. But or, or in my head, that's a very simple line diagram, whereas the simple fact that you've described it as scale electrics, which, which has a 3D quality to it and it's full of curves, I mean, that's already another level of thinking about it again. That's like... Do you know what I mean? Like okay, filling okay. in different dimensions, a graph taken in so many more dimensions. Because presumably you've got, you know, you've also got speed of, you know what I mean? It's, yeah, I think you've made it deeper than it was, was though, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> um, but, but certainly, yeah, it, it, it was an interesting moment in my head that a part of my brain took over and told me what was happening. Yeah. In the, in the joke. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I suppose, um, yeah, sometimes I, I see repeated patterns in people's jokes and I've got a lot of contempt for them because I think, can't you see how formulaic that was? And the audience are laughing and the public see the subject matter, not the structure. So they go, that was a new joke. That was, well, didn't your one. You, you're, you, someone else talked about football, so you can't talk, you know. Yeah. And then I'll be watching a comic. And I, what, I think the reason, uh, the reason comics like what I do, if that's fair to say. I think it is, yeah. Is because I'm, my skeletric tracks have got their own paint shapes. I totally agree with you. But yes. the people who make the decisions in power mm-hmm. aren't looking at the skeletric tracks. No. And I think that... No, they're, know, they're the sort of people that can be fooled, perhaps, by someone doing five pullback and reveals in a row bro. about yeah. five different subjects and not be sat there looking as we most good-thinking, good right-thinking comedians mm-hmm. would be, looking through our fingers going, how is he getting away yeah, with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's quite funny. I mean, I, what... Someone said to me in life, you get what you actually, your first, uh, what do you call it, first order or something, like your priority in life you get. If your thing is to have children, mm-hmm. then you'll have children. Mm-hmm. If your thing is to make money, you will eventually make money. And if your thing is to be a good comedian, mm-hmm. you'll eventually be a good comedian. Mm-hmm. I was never out to become successful. I was mm-hmm. out to become good. The, the, the success started to come with being good. 
and therefore four or five years in I was actually getting quite a lot of television but I didn't have a plan I didn't have a I didn't go oh good it's happening now this is great I just wanted to be good mm. so looking back on it I now when I've got now got a family I now think oh I wish I'd had a bit more of a plan and a Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. Put some scale electrics and for a bigger... Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I just wanted to be a good comedian. And I think that by wanting to be a good comedian, I wasn't pandering to public taste. I wasn't pandering to uh, w- w- what would go down well. I just wanted to be good in the eyes of myself and my peers. So you, you saying to me, I like what you do, meant more to me than a TV producer saying, come and do this show. Yeah. It would, yeah. For some reason, that's what I wanted. And that is that is why you are so cherished, I think, by the, yeah. the circuit, which I think you are. You know you are. You're the per, you're the, the fixer. You know what I mean? It's like you're the guy, the janitor, working away in the basement of comedy. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> you know what? It's, that's possibly the most unflattering way of putting it. But, but I can see what a lovely thing you said. The janitor of comedy. The bloke in the brown coat. On a low salary. <laughs> he smells a bit and no one goes too close to him on their own. But you know the file numbers of everything. <laughs> yeah, it's lovely. It's, it's, I, I, I see exactly what you meant. It's a lovely analogy. <laughs> yeah, maybe IT is better, more flattering than janitor, but maybe not by a long shot. <laughs> Let's look at your day-to-day writing life in okay. terms of your own now you said you you write for some other people you also presumably write for yourself no nope. you don't write for yourself anymore no. never did you don't write for yourself never did. you don't write your own material never no i think of it i don't write it ah okay all right okay. i'm thinking whoa where's this <laughs> improvise solid gold every night okay no. so you don't write anything down no i write two words for any one joke three words maximum okay and do you sit and Create, when you are creating your material or having a think about your act, does, does that happen? Do you have a structure? Do you go, right, for two hours now, I'm no. going to do this? No. Or is it just that every so often a joke occurs to you, you put down those two words to remember it, and there's your... That's it. Wow. And that's, that's always been that's the way. That's always been the way. And if I'm, uh, if I'm on stage with one of those ideas, there's a good chance I'll improvise an extra punchline under the pressure of an audience needing a joke. Or I go on stage going, I can't get this joke to work. Okay, let's just trust my brain in that frame of mind. And on stage, Adam does it. Yeah. And off stage, Adam can't. Yes. So that pressure is something I thrive on. I think that's fascinating. That's that's come up uh, frequently. Oh, I definitely. It? Yeah. Has I, it? I think I think I've described it by f- before as you write a joke or something. I'll do is I'll write a joke and then I'll ring a friend and go, "Is this funny?" And in saying it to him, I'll I'll improve okay. it in ways okay. I couldn't possibly. Have there you go. Yeah. So the pressure of just having to tell someone makes it worse. Yes. I find on stage is is, is that tenfold that mm. that ability to make it better. The other thing is. Uh, t- um, walking down the street something just hit me in my head blah, 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 and I bounced around um, when I had a Radio 4 series which ran for three years I had to write the stuff because there were theme shows with narratives up to four other people in generally two or three and they had arcs and they were, they were narrative they, were, they, had, they had a point in the story so I had to write them down because you can't write half an hour on reading spontaneously throughout the day over the nine months you've got to write six half hours or five half hours it was um, if you, uh, then I had to learn the discipline of writing and I found it really hard, uh, but incredibly rewarding. And by the, I suppose by the second year, uh, I had it down to a discipline where I would get up in the morning and I would write. I, when I had the third series, they doubled the slot from 15 minutes to half an hour. So I suddenly went, 
oh my god what I've achieved in two years has to be done now I won yeah. oh my god oh my god and I did from the day it got commissioned the day after it got commissioned okay. I worked minimum four or five hours a day maximum eight hours a day five days a week for nine months I treated it like a job and it was great and, and over those three years I generated five and a half hours of material four was probably brand new but if a comedian writes four hours of material in three years, it's absolutely brand new. Mm-hmm. Three years of brand new mm-hmm. stuff. That's considered a lot of material, isn't it? Sure. That's more than three other And with the sort of the material we're talking, presumably you're also talking some of the hardest things to write or the most time-consuming things to write. And the, it's, I don't mean time-consuming to write. What I mean is they are so... We're talking about one-liners or short jokes where... You know, an hour of material might contain hundreds of short yes, jokes. Yes, yes. You're not an anecdotalist. You're not someone particularly that will tell a story about Without something a whereby it's it's 12 minutes long and it's got some jokes in it and a lot of charisma. <laughs> Shoring no, no, up the earth. Um, no, uh, in all fairness, though, because it was they were half hour long, I was able I was able to turn my foot off the gas a, a bit. Sure. So there was light and shade. I mean, imagine, and and they were they were they were stories, but my stories had one line as all. Course. jokes within them so course. it's halfway between what I've described and what you've described sure, um, sure. a bit of charisma yeah <laughs> <laughs> correct so you would be what would be your office setup then what would be the, the structures you would use when you go okay it's 9 o'clock in the morning I'm going to start writing I went cafe hopping Okay. I go to a cafe, buy a coffee, sit on my laptop. My thing was, if I had a laptop in a cafe, you better get on with your work because otherwise you just look like a bloke showing off that he owns a laptop. The nicer the laptop, the more work you have to do. It's a bit like if you wore a t-shirt and said, I've given up drinking. You couldn't then have a pint because you look like one of those ironic t-shirts. <laughs> so then you can't drink all day. It's okay. quite a good idea, isn't it? Okay. Yeah, I don't drink. And, and there's nothing more annoying than a wacky t-shirt, is there? Mm-hmm. So I'd rather have a Coke. Sure. Than be seen as a twat. Sure. So, so, <laughs> okay. so with a laptop on, I open. I would sit there working. As soon as I stopped, I thought, "Well, look, I'm just looking like I'm posing in a cafe." And and I carried on writing. And when I felt like I'd overstayed my welcome, or it was getting busy, and I didn't have another another copy, I would leave, go to another place, and I would do that nomadically. Round. My wife used to work in Victoria. This is why I lived in Soho because I used to live in Victoria. Mm-hmm. But this is before then. She worked in Victoria, and I lived in Soho. Oh, we lived in Soho, and I used to go to work and my treat was my lunch break would be with her and I would work in cafes around Victoria until the time um, of, was for lunch and that might be our break and then I'd do it all day and then we'd walk back home together it was great and um, what's strange is now I actually ended up living in Victoria soon after that for five and a half years and have got v- almost no memories of the cafes I used to go to <laughs> exactly. that weird I blanked them out yeah well they're the office aren't they I suppose maybe yeah. that's maybe, well, maybe that's I just got some bad experiences in the cafe and refused to. <laughs> that did you? Did you? Why did you choose cafes particularly rather than in your house? Was that to do with the pressure of being outdoors, meaning that you had to focus? You're being in public, and you had to get on with it. Yeah, I thought somehow the people around me it excited me to be around people being alive and busy Victoria's full of you know, lots of people office people getting in and out coming in a hurry and it felt like something was happening and I felt that sitting in an office in, or in my living room at the time I was in a one bedroom flat it didn't feel it was a room I'd sit with my wife and have dinner in and watch TV in so it didn't feel the context at least here now mm-hmm. I've got an office so this all that happens is here is we play a Wii game or I, I work okay. I, I've got a table it's usually two chairs and a table this is for my writing work when I mm-hmm. sit with other people and, and that's much easier too because it's a day rate you're being employed you've got to get on with it because you sure. can't you know 
You sure. can't not do it. So easy. So okay. So but you. So when you say it's much easier, you have at some point, even with your incredible kind of uh, comedy generating skills, you have found it hard to kick yourself to make you yes. do it. So yes. it is a struggle. It's not just something you sit down and all pause out. It's a struggle, and it, and and then. It's a struggle then suddenly... It, <laughs> a million open spots, I've just breathed a sigh of relief. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, um, um, at least you know who you listen to. Yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, I thought there's no way... I've actually only said million, there's no way I'm just going to let that go. <laughs> um, uh, the, uh, well, it was almost humble and deluded at the yeah, same yeah. time, wasn't it? <laughs> Hey, maybe maybe that should be my angle. <laughs> um, I, I uh, yeah, I sit at home. It's no, it's very hard. It's a bit. It's like trying to have a poo when you don't need a poo. And for, I don't know why we find ourselves in that situation, but we do. And and, and um, Mitch just bore at a party. You know, I think go to the loo and then can't, and then find you can. But but the but that moment of uh, when it starts to happen. I remember being. Change of scenery as well. Mm-hmm. But doing it at home, oh, I think I need a cafe. Also, cafe, before iPhones, I had no wireless in the in the cafe. Now, you're dangerous. Very iPhone. dangerous, absolutely. My yeah. wife said to me once, I'm going to take the digital the, uh, router for, to work, the broadband router to oh, work, that's a good if idea. you don't get get on with your work. So, yeah, why well, go to she, cafe? She obviously knows exactly <laughs> yes. how to work you. Yes. That's amazing. So, that, but, yeah, so that, but now what's dangerous is, you know, you've always got wireless on you if you've got yeah. an iPhone or Blackberry or whatever. So, um, but that was it. I go out and I remember going to a cafe, sitting down, and the first thing I did, I just went, bang, and I wrote a killer line that, with a topper that was even better. <laughs> and and uh, it was work, worked in my radio show and my stand-up, which was quite rare because it was, it had everything my stand-up was as well. Okay. Rather than this slower pace or whatever. Sure, sure. And, 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 um, and it was relevant in a shorter subject rather than a big arc and a callback to a whole story you had to absorb to get the joke, mm-hmm. uh, which I loved, by the way. Beautiful. To have a joke that only works because the audience have absorbed an entire half an hour. Yes, yes, yes. Or at least... 15 minutes of it's relevant to that bit bang they're not jokes anymore now their comments bring the whole thing together yeah. which is why South Park's better than Family Guy South Park's lines are about the situation totally the disjointed yeah. jokes so um, there's even a South Park episode about the disjointed yes bit. yes there is yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah so uh, uh, so that thing of sitting in a cafe and opening my laptop and go and, and a killer line coming to me it felt so good but here's the question I haven't done it since 2005 when the series was last commissioned. Okay. So for the last seven years, I haven't sit down, sat down to write any stuff for myself. There's one exception, that's when I had an Edinburgh show that was themed. Okay. So back to the same problem, you can't just let stuff fall in your lap mm-hmm. on a theme. Mm-hmm. So I did do one Edinburgh show that involved sitting down and writing on the back of the three years' experience. But what's, when someone employs me, I've got the responsibility to work with them and because they're paying me and when I've got a deadline like a commission I've got the deadline or the Edinburgh show then I've got the responsibility like that but just generating stand-up I think I am lazy because I like I know ideas will hit me mm. I know funny things will come to me on stage and that'll do mm. and because I'm not in a position where TV people are excited about me anymore I'm probably thinking well, what's the point of me sitting down and working hard? No one cares anyway. I may as well just do what comes to me naturally. Okay. And you might go, well, that's a defeatist attitude. But I never did, I didn't write in the first place. When things were flying for me, I didn't write. Yeah. So it's not like I've changed my approach because I'm sulking or bitter. I'm actually sort of saying, well, I've learned I can write. Yeah. But I'm not really working towards anything at the moment. Yes. I'm living okay. quite an artistic lifestyle. I, you know, I tweet jokes all day and I... Uh, that come to me and I try out new material and I improvise on stage but where I'm probably at my most creative right now is where someone pays me a day rate and we sit down in my office and we spend eight hours 
bashing around ideas yeah. and they walk away with 10 minutes of stuff okay so well, can you can you talk to us about uh, about that then well there's some things that I'd like to come back to in a moment we were talking before about the idea of writing for other comedians right. some comedians get a bit bashful about it it's perhaps an unwritten secret that yes. some TV guys who have to turn over a huge amount of stuff might come to you I mean are we, are we talking high profile people that you write for um, I'm not asking you to mention any names if you don't want to um, obviously if you would I'd love to hear uh, them but I, I'm sure there'll be some contractual reason you um, can't of, of the 23 people I've counted recently that I've uh, uh, written for mm-hmm. I'd say that two were extremely high profile okay uh, three were extremely low profile mm-hmm. and, the, and the other whatever it is that 17 were kind of people on, on our kind of Working level in the clubs, okay. who 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 would find themselves coming to Edinburgh and thinking, "Oh my God, I don't think this show's any good. I need it to get more structure. I need to, to, to some additional material, sure. or something like that." Um, so yeah, on a basic, on a general level, they're people who 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 are working job in comics. Okay, but a couple of people, you know, there's one person I wrote for who's not a comedian, mm-hmm. and they're internationally hugely successful. Okay, and if I could put that on my CV, it would be amazing, but I won't. Sure, and that's explicitly part of the arrangement. Is no, 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 no. No, it isn't. It's it's an unwritten. It's an unwritten rule that I've created. Like I might turn around to them one day and say, um, you know, probably could have got a lot of work if I put that on my CV. And they go, what? What's not on your CV? Yes, okay. Are you mad? I'm quite offended you didn't put on your CV. But the thing is, I think it's a bit like being a being a leg model for Julia Roberts. You know. Yeah, the film okay. is ruined. I've never got an image of you as the janitor in the brown coat with Julia Roberts' legs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman getting into a car and a little bit of brown coat. Yeah, yeah just a little bit of flat <laughs> with oil on it. Um, uh, continuity mistake. Um, it, it, it's very exciting. I did, I did one thing. I wrote a press release for somebody uh, who got nominated for a BAFTA. Mm. And I wrote, there was, no, an Oscar. Okay. Uh, that's a big deal, isn't it? It's <laughs> a big deal. And I, they said to me, can you come up with an, a, a reaction to the press for me? And I went, I was viewing a house at the time, and I stood in the rain while my wife viewed the house, and I texted his executive producer six or seven ideas in okay. half an hour. Just shows, isn't it? Yeah. I, had, I had an hour to do it yeah. and I came up with seven ideas you've got to talk to the press in an hour but yeah. if I had a day to do it I would probably come up with seven or eight ideas sure, sure. so it just shows what's that phrase of time a job fills a lot of time but yeah. anyway it was so exciting standing in the rain pouring rain missing a viewing of a house while I just texted ideas and one of them got used Fantastic. and that that night I googled it I got the email saying there, thank you very much we've got used. and I googled it and it, it came up at like some, something ridiculous, it was like 60,000 searches on this, that exact sentence. And it was oh gl- national, gl- global uh, press. And I looked on Twitter and there was 600 tweets of the same sentence. Jeez. And th- I sat at home with a glass of wine, it was such a buzz. And I suddenly realised that I must have reached a stage of maturity as a comedian, because I didn't need the credit. I there didn't we need go. the credit. Yeah, Because yeah. 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 as a 25-year-old comedian, I'd have been pulling my hair out. <laughs> it's me, it's me. I didn't mind. But what mattered to me was, first of all, I was getting paid for my work mm. because I need to p- provide. And, and, and secondly, that if you're doing something creative that's being appreciated, it doesn't matter. If you take your ego out of it, yeah. the creativity exists and the thing is... Like doing a good thing for someone that you know they'll never yes, yes, find out yes, about. Yes, yeah, yes. lovely. So, um, so, so, so 
But as I'm listening to myself saying this, there's a part of me that thinks, come on, Adam, this is just, a, a, you're, you're, you're name dropping without mentioning names, you're, you're ego tripping, you're saying those things. So paradoxically, or rather hypocritically, I'm actually being egotistical, t- telling the story about having no sure. ego. So there is, there is it. Yeah, of course, there'll always be, I mean, yeah, we, we need to understand we're all out there trying to provoke a response of one sort or another. But yes. if you can sit back and watch the response that is provoked yes. without having to absorb it somehow yourself that's that's rewarding enough yeah but a true stage would be for me to not have to, to never tell even tell the story in an interview yeah. well I have asked kind of deliberately you, you have you have <laughs> okay, fair enough but it, yeah it was a very nice feeling and there's and just I love I love thinking of things that are funny yeah and however they're however they're appreciated as long as they're appreciated I will be happy my life so the answer to the question, actually, do you have to stand up, is actually now no. Mm. Um, I have to be creative. Yes, okay. However, if I've, I've thought about this a lot, if I gave up stand-up because I had a massive project to work on, think how many hours I could then give, given it takes three hours to get to a gig and three hours back again yes. and all that, um, how much time I could give to a project. I've got an office now, my wife only works three days a week, mm-hmm. I can actually commit a lot of time if yeah. I wanted to turn my back on certain hours a day for my family with them understanding that I could yes but would I start to die inside that I wasn't getting that buzz because that that buzz on stage is immense it's a key part of it isn't it yeah yeah Yeah. have you ever have you ever gone what's the longest period you've gone for without gigging Uh, in 18 years yeah two weeks Uh, I I took a month off in January 2000 and I couldn't cope <laughs> and I ended up turning up at a club and asking to, to go and do 10 minutes and Ricky Gervais was in the audience oh lovely yeah January 2000 Randy Boom Boom and Simon Money was on the bill oh De Hems yep. was it, yeah okay yeah. Simon Money was on the bill and Ricky Gervais was in the audience and I did three new bits and I said to Simon Money I did three new bits tonight and he went ooh try four next time <laughs> it was a, this is classic Money sarcasm yeah. <laughs> In the middle of your, your one attempted holiday. Let's talk about um, leaving aside the higher profile stuff for the moment, just because I, uh, I've no experience of, of this from either end. Um, let's talk about people, like you were saying, jobbing comics of, you know, of a zero profile level, you know, pro- circuit profile right. level, um, uh, coming to you and saying, let's, Let's have this eight-hour session. Okay. Well, so what? To talk me, talk me through that. What sort of a, what sort of an approach do you take to that? Do they tell you, here's my existing material? Do you watch a video of them? Do you go see them live? All of those things. Okay. The, the thing I do the most now is they email me what they've got that they're working on, and I email back over four hours after four hours of working on it, my notes, tw- tweaks, rewrites, additional material, everything that I can think of, mm. and also brand new material on the subject they've asked me to write about, if that's the case. And then they come back to me with, uh, and we spend four hours sitting going over what we've done. And that's the most productive way I can do it because I don't think at eight hours you'll ever get a good uh, last two hours out of somebody. Okay. You just start to tire and you yes, wish okay. it, it wanted to end. And then, you know, they'll go to the loo and you'll go, oh, that's good, I've got a bit of a break from it. And you know, I did one the other day with somebody and we did, I gave them five hours, I felt good him a little bit more. Um, they weren't that registered, so they, they cost them an extra 20%. Sure. So I gave them an extra hour, and uh, at both ends, actually, I think I gave mm. them 10 hours of work. 
And we sat here in where we are now, and we sat for five hours, and we had one tea break just to go downstairs and get something. We even talked and worked through lunch, and it was mm-hmm. fantastic. And it was just two people's brains going, what do you do this, what do you do that, back, 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 back. And all the great sitcoms are written by two people, aren't they? Yes. So it clearly yes. is easier to do something with somebody sure. else on your own. And yet we're lone runners, aren't we? And we're lone marathon runners. Mm. So in a way, everyone should have someone they bounce stuff off with. And yet I don't. I never have done. You're the bouncer. I'm you're the bouncer. Yeah. But someone's... <laughs> has got to say you're the wall. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that... Um, I think that I really, really should have at some point sat down with somebody and gone, what do you think of this? Yeah. And then bounced it around. Lee Mack made a really good point. We did a new material night to an audience of 15 people. It was just flat. Mm-hmm. You know, you slip an existing joke in to try and save yourself and that dies as well. Yeah. And you think, okay, well, there you go. What, what's the point of this? Yeah. And uh, it, in, in some ways, that's quite a nice benchmark. If you go, this is dying, yeah. here's my best joke. You didn't like that, well, it's not my problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> there, there, there's a chance, yeah. I often do brand new material at corporates that I'm dying at because I think if I can't get you my best stuff, maybe the excitement in my eyes of trying something new. Yeah. Like, it often not? does, it often does. It just it gets that little lift where they go, you, something in your voice that says, here's something fresh. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I can't believe I'm doing this crap still <laughs> 10 years later. So, yeah, so... um. You know, I'm, I have tough corporates. I'm flashing. I sometimes even have flashes that I'm doing a bit of old material that's safe and relevant mm. to the corporate. Mm. Um, a flash of how young I was when I first said that and how hopeful I was in my whole <laughs> oh, oh, uh, Terrified to carbon date jokes. And, yeah, yeah, so yeah, I horrible. had a joke about the age of my granny and, uh, you know, it's to do with my granny's 88 and then joke. And uh, she's 92 now. Oh, and, uh, I was like, and it just, you couldn't see a more concrete. No, no, that's how old that joke is. Well, I used to do a joke about having four cats and they're all dead now. <laughs> it's more bittersweet. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so uh, what's the point, the writing thing, the process, what's the, what's the what are we talking about? We're though? talking about uh, bouncing. Oh, bouncing. Lee yeah. Max said, uh, I honestly think when it's that quite a gig we should just cancel the gig and all the comics should go for a pint and just take turns going what do you think of this yeah man seven comics around a table yes that's a great idea it is a great idea isn't it someone will do that we should do it, <laughs> should do it. Do you want to I, do? the only yeah I mean the only the only time I have ever considered writing with someone else the, the whole thing was described not with someone else there's a couple of people that I write with and bounce ideas off in a sort of deliberate kind of way but the only time I'd ever considered paying someone to write with as a, as a service it seemed to me and I didn't get very far down the process for this reason I thought I'm not going to be saying my stuff I don't want someone to hand me a list of jokes for yeah. me to say because I suppose I saw it in terms of the you, you think of comics maybe on Mock the Week who who uh, you know pay someone to send in a list of jokes because they churn through a lot of stuff yeah, sure. and they'll look through them and go this is like mine this is like I've already got this one actually this one could be useful fine okay. I thought what I get out of stand-up comedy and the self-expression that I get out of it won't be served by someone giving me a big list of jokes sure. but the process you've just described of saying here's, here's the things I'm working on in my, moment, in my act at the moment here's the thing and then actually that seems far more collaborative than I'd ever expected that process to be yes and you'll end up you'll end up saying something that still comes from you because the attitude was yours, the joke core of the joke was yours. Yeah. But it might just be a little twig. It's just like someone coming around your house and going, you know what? You, your desk would be much better in the corner. And yeah. you go, okay, you still chose the desk. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and it's still your house, and yes. it's just in a different position. And yes. and people, you know, people people can help you. And and over the year, Brendan Burns, believe it or not, has probably given me more little tags than anybody else. Okay, but people. 
he's my best friend in comedy probably sure. but people are surprised at because they think of myself as cerebral and his stuff as very attitude and ranty and emotional but sure. Brendan has watched me so many times that and cares enough about me to tell me that he comes off and I, I come off and he says have you thought of about saying that like that said, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's nice my wife's giving me some stuff my wife's giving me some classically brilliant lines yeah. I mean really 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 funny lines I did a radio before recording and the audience applauded the line I stopped and I went that's my girlfriend's yeah, uh, I had to because it was the best line in the whole episode. Yes, and um, uh, yeah, I, I actually tweaked it a little bit, which was lovely because it was then made, made it a, a back and forth, back and forth. And that's the thing. Look, when I do these writing with people, they tell me a joke that doesn't work. I said, "Why don't you say it like this?" And then they say, "What about this?" Yes. And then suddenly they've taken back the idea. Yes, but with my bit in the middle of it, and it's now gone passed around, and it's it's lovely. It's sure. just, and it's such a nice feeling. And, and and as you said, they then go away saying a joke that feels like. They could then Photoshop me out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Um, but yeah, so it's a, one, it's a wonderful process. And my wife turned out to me sometimes and says, why can't you put that commitment to your own career? Mm. And I suppose it's just that feeling of a stand-up doesn't have a deadline. Radio shows have a deadline. Edible shows have a deadline. An existing bohemian lifestyle doesn't have a deadline. Um, sounds like an, an album title. <laughs> but it's absolutely Bohemian true. Deadline. Yeah, <laughs> there is though. It's an empty record. I was at a Radio Four party, and Harry Hill was there, and he said to he, he I don't know why I'm here. I haven't done any Radio Four for years, but he'd been invited. He turned up, and um, I was saying how it was a year I'd written, you know, the four, the the five half hours, and I, I said, you know, it's been the most prolific year of my career by a mile. I said, just. It's got a deadline. I need, mm. I need deadlines. Mm. We need more deadlines. No, no, that's it. I don't. I need deadlines. And he put his fist in here and went, more deadlines. Yeah. <laughs> that's great, isn't it? Two words. Just this absurd thing. Is that way? Is that wonderful? And I just looked at him. I thought, that's why you're Harry Hill. More deadlines. So. Let's let's talk then a bit about your um, something you said earlier on about uh, you know TV having or this implication being that TV has passed you over or you're not of interest to TV producers. Is that something that you feel is taken for granted? Is that I mean I remember seeing you I remember seeing you on Buzzcocks years ago before I met you doing the joke about Morse code right with the, the all yes. of the things are bleeped out and in Morse code that's spells. On, that's on YouTube that is yeah oh wonderful I mean I remember I remember crying with laughter really at that. so. Do A, do you think that you're no longer of interest to TV people? B, why is that? Um, I think that what happened was, when I was very new, the industry got very excited. There was a young comic who was ambitious, who was relatively clean, and was good and prolific. And I did like four Edinburgh's in five years as a comic, solo Edinburgh's. Mm. And they all went, this is a comedian that can do all the things we want. Yes. Let's get him on television. But then when I went on television and went on Buzzcocks and other panel shows and bits and bobs, uh, I shied away a little bit. If you watch that episode of the Buzzcocks, uh, it's got Toya Wilcox on it, if you want to Google it. Um, I hardly said a word the whole show. When I spoke, I got into my zone and did my thing. Mm-hmm. But I probably... I said less than Toya Wilcox did on the, sure. on the half hour. Okay. And um, I found it really intimidating having Mark Lamar elbowing me in the face for the whole time mm-hmm. that that Morse code joke um, I actually said where's my camera because I said you keep swearing where's my camera and Mark and I went Adam and I went where's my camera he went Adam and I kept talking over him because yeah. I knew it was my big moment to do this yeah. prepared gag did the joke big laugh and then he went Adam you haven't got a camera which meant yeah. 
If he'd got to interrupt me the two times he tried, he'd have said that and cut the joke off before it even lived. Yes. So I'd have gone, where's my camera? Adam, you haven't got a camera. Ah, big laugh, move no, on, can't do the joke now. So I had to fight God. repeatedly. I don't know how it looks in the edit, but I had to fight repeatedly to say the one thing I wanted to say on that show yeah. that I prepared. In fact, I hadn't prepared it. It, it occurred to me at that moment that yes. it would be a good time to do yes, that show. Yes. But, but, the, but the thing is that I, I wasn't cut out like that. So what I was... The, the, the way I saw it was I was a kid skipping I just wanted to play and I'm skipping in the playground and people came up to me and went hey you're really good at skipping how about you skip in this conditions over here all day long with people chucking stuff at you yeah. oh, I don't know <laughs> yeah. okay. and, and you know the person who wants it will just okay and then will force like Peter Kay would skip wherever you put Peter yes. Kay with a skipping rope he would do his skipping yeah. and that was a really an, an incredible thing to witness where I failed was I just went I'm not, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do this. I don't like this. And looking back on it now, I would go, I would kill to have those chances because now I go, okay, this is how I want to be seen. This mm. is what I can do with that attention. I can now use that power to do this. So why is it that you don't think that's a possibility anymore? Because I think that the industry treats comedians the way that children treat toys they hold the newest toy they've got around because it's the one they're excited about and they forget the other ones and there's also the ego of a producer wanting to feel that they've discovered somebody yes and you don't no one's going to discover me if I was on something they'll go yeah we've been around for 18 years yes. there isn't a feeling I remember having a ridiculously good Edinburgh at 1998 it, insanely good Edinburgh and the next year no one was interested in what I was doing okay. because it was like well we can't discover you now yes. we want to be come on this thing I've got this thing that kind of look at my boy my boy my boy and it's it's. I don't think there's I don't think an industry cares about someone who's had some success disappeared or, or rather gone away from the line and comes back with something good again I don't think it works like that I, you know you get your time in front of the industry then you get time in front of the public mm-hmm. so let's say Johnny Vegas did an amazing end of 97 the industry got uh, the industry took a while so the public took a while to find out about him mm-hmm. so there's two mm-hmm. bursts yes. but they weren't both in front of the public I've had my public burst yes so now yeah. I'm sort of a bloke who was on television for a bit and it didn't sustain and therefore he's now been dropped okay I don't see how you know I'm going to have to write a book and the book be hugely successful and then be interviewed as a guy yes, like that book okay. and then that's a middle finger to the people who didn't want me on their yes toes. that could work though could it not that you become the guy who gets interviewed about the incredible book yes and then suddenly you're flavour of the month again yes because I mean there are other ways to do uh, comedy on TV surely other than panel games which are horrible combative mm. experiences yeah okay but the truth is if I wrote a book that was successful enough to get me on these programmes I would probably be happy playing the small clubs for peanuts yes. and have the money from the book come in and that would be a lovely life yes. wasn't it do you know yes. what I mean actually yeah, going I don't need to play this game because as I said my objective is to be a good comedian sure and but I think you are I mean you're completing that objective you're, you're winning yes you're but, 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 but I don't need I don't need to be I don't want to be famous and I never wanted to be famous when I started getting a bit famous I remember going holiday to New York in January 2000 and as the plane left uh, L- London to go to New York I remember thinking oh, this is a couple of weeks away from being wow. hassled so that proves to me that I wasn't enjoying it of course I was enjoying the money and of course I was enjoying sell out shows where people came to see me but what I wasn't enjoying was the lifestyle of being and now I've got a daughter the thought of people hassling me while I'm trying to walk with her, really I mean yes. I, I've got less and less well known and my, my face has aged and my hair's changed 
so I'm I used to get recognised about seven times a day now I get recognised about once every three days okay it's a big big difference sure and the thought of Eminem talks about people hassling when he's with his daughter you think yes. God leave the guy alone and so I would love to be successful without being famous and if I wrote a book which is by the way what I'm, my next project is mm-hmm. going to be because it's, gives me, it gives me a, a, a form of deadline because I'm going I have to finish this book absolutely and it also means the, the, the end product is not, isn't me competing as a uh, in the limelight as a comedian it's really funny the, 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 on, on one level I feel like I'm... If you look at all my peers who are doing sell-up shows in Edinburgh, when I was doing sell-up shows in Edinburgh, I'm the one who's not very successful. I've proven myself by doing... You know, I've sold out 350 seats on a Saturday night in Edinburgh. I've sold out... Mm -hmm. When I was doing about 170-seater, I sold out 1,000 in advance. My extra dates sold out in the afternoon. I, I did a very successful run of Edinburgh. So, you know, seven times I've done that. Sure. So I've done everything I think I can do within my industry to prove that I'm able to go on to the next level and yep. for some reason didn't go up to the next level yes. I accept that I'm not going to blame things I think I had maybe had a bit too much too soon and didn't know what to do with it like I said I was skipping and going well, I don't, I don't want to skip <laughs> this now I will skip with four cocks in my mouth <laughs> <laughs> and, and skipping where it handles made of cocks um, in fact just jism going from one cock to another where they somehow meet and, and link is that possible? Yeah, sure. <laughs> if there's anyone can find a way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but, 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 it's not, but it's not a sour grapes thing. There, there's probably every few days I find myself playing in a slightly dodgy gig where the sound's not good or the lighting's not good and it's not very busy and I think, God, how did I end up here? I could have sworn I was on the track to be doing really well. But then again... I also wake up and go, I've been doing what I love for 18 years and I still love it. Well, this is it. As much as we can look back at people you started with or were gigging yeah. with who then went on to be superstars, a lot of them, the ones you probably don't remember because they're not superstars, gave up or are still hacking around but aren't nearly as happy as you. No, I'm no. sure there's a lot of people out there. You don't seem like you've ever... The, the terms in which you're talking about maybe haven't been passed over by TV. Okay. You're not talking about them really in bitter terms so much as you've still got this incredible thing you could do and it's a shame that didn't happen. Right. You, there's none of the sort of... You don't reek of dressing room bitterness no, 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 in no, no, no. I, I, I love it. Can. No, I love yeah. it. I love it as much as I ever did. It's, I, I, I can't believe that I... I'm glad you see that, but I can't believe on paper I should be bitter. But my, because I love comedy more than success, mm-hmm. more than money, and because I love the thrill of doing it, then I'm still... Doing what I love. Completely. And, and, and uh, James Mullinger, do you know the comedian? I do know James, okay. yeah. He said a wonderful thing. He said, you see people in uh, Britain's Got Talent and they're backstage being interviewed and they go, oh, this is my big break. You know, if, if it doesn't work, if it doesn't go well tonight, that's it. And, th- and he said, well, then you don't love what you do then, do you? Yeah. <laughs> so they're saying that, you yeah. know, it's yeah. ridiculous, isn't it? You're singing to millions of people yeah. across the world or in television or whatever, or playing the piano in a pub for enough money to live on, are the same things if your objective is to play the piano. Yes, of and, course. And it, it, of course you get it. It would be so lovely to hear Anton Deck say to someone, well, then you can't mean it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be wonderful. That would be wonderful if that was a stage of the audition process. There was a lovely moment. In, um, I did a show in Montreal, uh, just for laughs, called New Faces, which was uh, a bill that was to the industry where they even had a projector 
screen above the stage for the balcony people to watch a projected image of you so they could see what you looked like on the screen during your gig you were being seen by Hollywood people oh on the screen during your gig okay. and uh, we're backstage and I was a bit more experienced in the comics I wasn't even new to Montreal let alone new to comedy I'd been going maybe seven years my second Montreal and there were all these new acts around me who were really this is it this is it they were doing that one chance, yeah. and the guy who was there sort of coaching us backstage went okay everyone this is a big break there's a lot of people out there a lot of Hollywood people out there a lot of film people out there deals have been struck this is where I think Mitch Hedberg got a deal struck in that yes. one years before half a million dollars this is a this is a big thing if you make it tonight make sure you do it because do you want to be out there in 10 years time on the circuit doing universities and I went yeah, that's what exactly yeah. what it was. <laughs> it was such a lovely moment because his whole his whole ethic crumbled, and he and he went, oh well, that's all right for you then. But that's what you wanted, fine. But it was lovely because it, it was it reminded me of the Beavers and Butt um, episode on the Beavers about to do America. They look at this waterfall and uh, or some bubbling thing, and and they're all with the tourists or with drinks and big fat people with with the big slurpy drinks. And uh, the guy, the tour guide, went for the hundredth time that day. Went. This uh, water uh, place, natural reservoir, produces 250,000 litres of water a day. And Beavis went, that's not that much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a lovely moment. The person's so used to everyone being going. And, and the thing is, when I said that, of course I know I sound like I'm being like, I'm the punk, I was the anarchist. But the truth of the matter is, I didn't like the way he was selling it. No. It's a gig where people see you, they might give you big things, it's a game of snakes and ladders, and you can go shot up to the top because someone had the right shape face for a yes, film. Of course. But I didn't like the way that it was being said that you're a failure as a comedian if you spend your life doing live comedy. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. That, that, for me, there's an echo of something uh, Alan Cochran said to me. He was, uh, I was friends with Alan before I got into comedy, and right. he's, he's always said very wise, Alan-ish things to me. Um, and one of them uh, was to play the room and not the occasion. That's nice. And that, to me, that guy's big whipping you up into a frenzy speech is the exact opposite yeah, of that yeah, yeah. very intelligent and very sensible advice. Play, Play the room, not, not the occasion. occasion. That's beautiful. I think it's lovely. I remember Sean Mio, I was telling Sean Mio, I was a bit nervous about a corporate that was paying very well. Mm. And he shook his head and went, don't ever think about the money. Mm. And I thought, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. The people in the room who aren't paying have no more or less right to be entertained you know, than, than someone who walked in for free. Yes. It's people giving you their time yes. and you're sharing a moment in their lives. So the fee, what, what, what would I deliberately be a bit less funny if I was getting paid less? <laughs> you just do what you can do yes. in the time. Well, it's occasion. a really refreshing inversion, isn't yes. it? Because so much of the time, oh, I'm doing this corporate, well, I'm thinking of money. No, do the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> do the exact opposite. Yeah, yeah. Certainly think about the money on the way home when it's gone badly uh, as well as helping <laughs> you cope with the situation. Yeah, but um, so... Uh, um, yeah, that's a lovely play to the occasion. It's a lovely... I remember Andre Vincent, because I was nervous at a gig, and Andre Vincent just went, an audience is an audience, Adam. And I thought, yeah, you're right, an audience is an audience. Mm. It's a, all the, the Williams sisters, their dad said a wonderful thing. He said, the only pressures are the ones we put on ourselves. Mm. Yeah, there are, yeah, absolutely. If you, yeah, 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 that's, that's, that's a wonderful, that's, simple, that's what pressure means. Yeah. It's the thing you do to yourself, and that's the only thing. It's entirely, isn't it? You just play a game of tennis, and uh, you do the best you can do and hopefully win. Yeah. That's it.
So the last thing I wanted to talk about before you zip off is the uh, what structures you have. I'm, I'm trying to be as geeky as possible, as nerdy as possible for people out there listening to this who write things. And I wondered if there's any rules or structures or ways of attacking an idea. You know, or I mean, I imagine with you, I could give you a subject and you'd immediately tell me 10 funny things about it. Oh, <laughs> but, um, um, but just in terms of how you, whether, whether there is like a, a, a thing, do you, do you look at it first that way and then upside down? Do you, do you see what I mean? Um, I, the, the, the important thing I do is I make sure I don't say anything that I think is derivative or cliched or formulaic. Okay. So I refuse, I have a hack thing. Okay. And I refuse to go to, to do anything that falls into that level. Okay. And so you won't even look at it from an angle that you feel has been no, covered? No, I can't. Okay. I can't. Because as soon as that happens, I feel like I'm selling the audience short. Uh, Paul Zenon once said to me, I think you uh, you th- th- think audiences care more about comedy than they do. And I never got to tell him that it's not that. I care. Mm. I'm treating the gig, I'm doing the gig to the one comedy geek in the audience who might be there because it's not fair to disappoint them. Yeah. I know that you can fool the public. I just don't want to... I can't sell crap to people. So I, I could not do a joke that I think is hack or derivative. And that's not to say that everything I do is brilliant, but at least it's at least it's coming from an original structure or angle. I understand. Um, okay. Uh, but but to actually to where I look at something, um, uh, a tweet. There we are. A tweet. Okay. Uh, the most recently thing I recently thing I tweeted was, um, I hope Greek people are good at puzzles because they've got a lot of plates that need gluing back together. <laughs> That's wonderful. Do you like, like it? Yeah, I love it. Um, I love it. Because okay. I really, what I love about that is the, the timing it took, the time it took me to think backwards through those images and get to, the, get to what was going on. Oh, okay. okay. Love it. Love it. Oh, lovely. Now, the, now, the thing is that that idea... Um, it's, got, it's got a two-second fuse. Oh, okay. That's what I mean. That's okay. what I love about it. Okay, now, so when I wrote that, I went, okay, what I'm getting across is that Greek people are in a bad situation financially and they've been a bit flashed by going, the culture that ruins fake things. How do I put that together? What it's very important the order, like you said about the the, it's the order you put things together in. The thing I've noticed that people do wrong the most when they present ideas to me is they give the information to you in the wrong order, so it doesn't excite you because they've let the air out the bag before oh, yeah, okay. you know. So yeah. the, if I say here we are, Greek people smash plates. They used to smash plates. I bet they're not smashing any more plates. Let's hope they're good at puzzles. There's no surprise. Yes, of course. So the word okay. puzzles. It is the is some people would put the word puzzles at the end because they think that's the payoff. It's a puzzle. Yes. But the I say cryptically, I hope they're good at puzzles, and that leaves you in the air. What? Yes. What? What? And now it makes sense, and then you go back over information and tie it together again. Yes. But if you said, uh, I thought Greece is in a recession. Uh, they've smashed a lot of plates in the past. Let's say they're good at uh, making pu- yeah. puzzles. That can still work, but it's not a good joke. Yes, okay. But yes. it's exactly the same and thing I've just said. The danger of that, if it can work, but it's not a good joke, people will keep having it work on stage for as long as they want. Yes. And it just won't, because they'll get the, they'll get the 10% loss. Yes. Yeah. But the order, that order, I hope they're good at puzzles. Because yeah. they've got a lot of plates that they need to glue back together. And yeah. also, if you say glue back together, that's making it seem like a puzzle at that moment. Um, God, you know what? A, a really, on the same subject, a, a great joke. Harry Hill did a whole thing about his grand getting things wrong. She go, yeah. um, Harry, what's this um, 
um, jigsaw puzzle for chicken. I just can't do it. I go, man, it's a box of cornflakes. Yeah. <laughs> this is an amazing joke. <laughs> and that moment when you go, oh my God, he's a genius. There's a box with a picture yes. on the front of what's in the yes, thing yes, and yes, little, yes. little pieces. She goes, I just don't get it. It's all beak. Yeah. Let's be saying that the audience see the jokes as subject matter, not structure. I've actually seen both in this case because yes. it's a joke about a puzzle that you, the penny drops and you go, oh yeah, yes. his is a better joke. His is a much better joke because Strong. he's got the box on the, the image yes, on the outside as well. It's so satisfying. It's so yeah. satisfying. Um, the, the, um, the Greek thing, I mean, this didn't get 2,000... 900 followers no one retweeted that right which okay. which was which surprised me I, I normally get one retweet on anything I say that's considered attempting to be funny okay. but the thing is that uh, uh, I remember as I nearly not tweeting it because I thought it was a bit insensitive because mm. there are people sleeping on the streets in Greece aren't there sure so sure, it's sure. a little bit cruel okay um, but it's just joke about an economy it's not about you know. yes, yes. Um, but at least there is social commentary not sure there is a it's, a, it's the closest I get to a political joke because I don't do anything political no uh, in my stand up in, in fact in my stand up my persona is so non-political I wouldn't make that into a joke on the grounds that it's political yes I would oh, keep away okay. from it okay yeah. in order to preserve the apolitical nature of your persona yes, okay. yes. I, I'm, I'm apolitical yeah it's never, okay. is that a real word yeah, yeah. okay yeah, I, my, as soon as I start to express an, I have social opinions, but as soon as I express a political one, it starts to go away from the person that I really am, which is an innocent person who lives in a little bubble yes. and doesn't watch the news. It upsets me, so I don't watch it. That's true. Because Adam Boone, that was absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much. We're going to go. Uh, you can Thank say you. goodbye if you like. I don't know what the end of the thing is. <laughs> I haven't really got a formal structure for the end. That was Adam Bloom. Thank you for having me. It was a joy. So thanks for listening, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you found that as, uh, as God, I just absolutely blew my mind. I was buzzing for about five hours after that interview. I, I just find Adam so inspiring, so intelligent, and, and it is fabulous to hear someone n- not only care that passionately, but also understand his subject from such an internal kind of a level. So, uh, so that was Adam. I'm, I'm still planning to do an open spot special, probably in two or three episodes' time. Uh, get in touch if you're a, a newer act and you've been going between sort of, what, two and four years? I'm not, I'm not going to make any conditions. Just get in touch if you are a newer act and you have strong opinions about something. I, you know, I, I know everyone is going to go, help, it's awful, it's, so, it's too many people doing it, it's all collapsing and there's fewer gigs and the industry's contracting. Ah, So let's take that for granted. If you've got a solution to that, if you've got a, a particular way you think you're going to handle that, you'd like to share with us, uh, or even, uh, yeah, probably you won't want to share it with us. But if you do, uh, if you've got any secret plans as to how the rest of us can nick your great idea, then please get in touch. Um, thank you very much to everyone for their support. Thanks always to Graham Crockford and Tom Wateracre for their technical assistance. Uh, to my brother, Robert Goldsmith, who you can check out at robert-goldsmith.com. Uh, he's online and he makes uh, internet adverts, little those little web buttons you see on edfringe.com. I'm very excited about mine, so uh, have a look at his work and book him for those if you like. Uh, he's done all a lot of my design stuff Toby Rose for the internet stuff and thanks always to my friends and yours at To Entertain for their support I've been Stuart Goldsmith I'll see you next time in two weeks for some Sarah Millican chat speak to you then
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.